Hello, podcast listeners. It's Nancy Rommelman. It is Tuesday afternoon here in New York City. And it occurred to me to read uh, something to you that I wrote earlier in the week over on the Substack, which is called Make More Pie and Whose Fate I'm Not Quite Sure About. But um, I also wanted to say for uh, some of you all who watch us over on YouTube, you know what we're super close to? Super, super close to like maybe by tomorrow. That's uh, 4,000 viewing hours. So if you are inclined to go see some uh, YouTubing of myself and Matt Welch and Michael Moynihan and other people, go over there and tip us over to 4,000 hours because then we can start doing some other um, sort of fun things for you over there. Um, But today I'm going to read to you uh, something called Friends from the Future. Here we go. Last Thursday night, Washington, D.C., a little after 10 p.m., Maybe 60 of us are ascending the stairs from the Andrew W. Mellon Auditorium, where we have just watched the founders of the Innocence Project receive the Milton Friedman Prize for Advancing Liberty. Later, I will tell Matt Welch I was moved by the video of those who'd been wrongly incarcerated, some on death row for decades, explaining what freedom means to them. To be able to start anew, to be able to drive a car, to be able to take a bath. And man, that last one really really got to me that that people could, you know, wrongly obviously imprison you and take away all your liberties, but just that sort of simple comfort of being able to take a bath and not being able to do that, that one hit home for me. But now we're on the heated balcony having one and two more drinks, and I am meeting people I have long admired, including Scott Lincecum, who is so quick and so funny, I spend 10 minutes doing nothing but laugh. It's a beautiful night, including the Washington Monument beaming its light. At around 11 p.m., I want a closer look and head for the ledge at the balcony's edge. It is not so high that I cannot boost myself up, and I am trying and failing to get a good picture of the monument when I hear someone say, give me your phone. A woman is standing below me. She is wearing a red halter dress and has her hair in a pixie cut. I hand her my phone and smile for the picture. No, she says, look where you were looking. And so I look toward the monument, and then I hop down, and she and I start to talk very fast for 10, 15 minutes, that instant connection of wanting to talk about everything right now. Let's get together soon, she later texts, after I send her the photo she took of me, which I also send to a friend who writes back, a beautiful photo, but what really makes it is... What is she looking at? The future, I tell her. Live today to the fullest because tomorrow is not promised, is the email signature of Sabrina T., the first person who contacts me after the drowning death of Eldon Smith. It's May 27, 2009. Four days earlier, Eldon's mother, Amanda Stott Smith, had thrown Eldon and his sister from the Selwood Bridge in Portland, Oregon, a story I immediately started to report on. Sabrina had read, has read one of these reports and contacts me to say her son had been Eldon's best friend at preschool. She and I and her son will meet soon after at a coffee shop. She will bring me Eldon's class picture, of which I will write about in To the Bridge, A True Story of Motherhood and Murder. I wrote, Sabrina kept the preschool class photo on the refrigerator at home. Eldon, she thought, was the most adorable of the whole class, a cherub with big, round, dark eyes and the apple cheeks of a young child. He looked a lot like his mother, 
Sabrina did not know Amanda well, only what she had gathered at, by attending class meetings with her. Amanda was striking with a Native American or Hawaiian or Polynesian look and that beautiful hair. The first time Sabrina spoke with Eldon, she ran her hands over his hair. It was clipped very short, prickly, and soft. She was so happy to meet this boy her son had taken to, and she said, You're Eldon, hi! And he had been sweet and quiet, very quiet. In 2013, the documentary Finding Vivian Mayer was released. I posted something about it, a post that Sabrina sees. The post includes a photo that Meyer has taken. Seeing it catalyzes something in Sabrina, who will tell me that in grade school, her art teacher told her that she was talentless, told her to forget about becoming an artist. And so she had, until she saw the photo, when she started to paint and has not stopped. In 2018, my book, To the Bridge, is on the cusp of publication. I have cleared all the photos for usage, but one, the class picture of Eldon, whose parents own the rights. His mother is in prison, and his father will not communicate with me. I'll draw him for you, Sabrina says, and does. It's on page 45 of the book, and about which she writes, I was bringing him back to life the only way I could. I am sitting in my living room earlier last week with Kat Rosenfeld, whose new book, No One Will Miss Her, has just been named an Amazon pick and for whom I will be throwing a book launch party this month. We are talking about where she and I will sit for the author talk, and I notice she cannot stop looking at a painting above my head. And the painting is of Tippy Hedren and a crow. Uh, the crow is holding a match and is lighting Tippy's cigarette. This is, of course, um, from the uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Birds. Who did that painting, Kat asks. I'm obsessed. I tell her my friend Sabrina, who would not only not take any money from me when I first saw it, but who, when she saw the Washington Monument picture, wrote to say, I have an assignment to do something sort of like that, and if you're okay with it, I'd like to paint it. All these open hands, all these friends from the future. Now I will put Kat in touch with Sabrina, and I will again see... Inshallah, the girl with the red halter dress, who, when I looked her up, has had many health troubles, who said as we spoke in the moonbeams, I want to know you. Here's some recommendations this week. The podcast, 1865, which is this sort of old-time radio serial sort of podcast that I'm so completely obsessed with that I started crocheting another blanket last night just so I could sit around and listen to it. It's it's super great. Uh, it takes place right after the Lincoln assassination. It's just, I, I love it. Um, a book, The Genetic Lottery, Why DNA Matters for Social Equality, which is, of course, creating all kinds of eugenics, which it's not controversy, and which our pals Katie Herzog and Jesse Single talked about this week over at their Blocked and Reported podcasts, including an interview uh, with the book's author, Catherine Page Harnden. Um, more podcasts, speaking of Jesse Single, check out this absolutely banging episode of Ethan Strauss's House of Strauss, during which I laughed so hard that I had to stop walking. I was in Fort Greene and I had to double over and laugh. Um, and speaking of Katie Herzog, she was the guest on with the Fifth Column Boys this week. They'll be in here tomorrow night recording. Uh, talking about the latest dog park incident and what the hell was up with Ozzy. If you guys have not read about the uh, implosion over at the website Ozzy, do yourself a favor and go, go look it up. It's smoke and mirrors times a thousand. 
Um, I got it to toddle into the studio in my nightgown the other night while they were recording. Hey, it was midnight. And to say hi to Katie and earlier was in there with Michael Moynihan to discuss our mutual antipathy for the New Yorker's David Remnick softballing that radio interview with pipeline bombing enthusiast Andreas Malm, about which I wrote on YouTube last week. And here is a clip from that. Well, there's splashes. I mean, how do you get on the New Yorker's podcast produced in conjunction with WNYC when you're a slobbering lunatic professor in Sweden who is known in Sweden to be a slobbering lunatic now professor who's notoriously written in defense of various terrorist groups. Well, you write in English something as provocative as how to blow up a pipeline. But the thing is, you don't expect a editor of this august publication like The New Yorker to roll over for you, Did you which is what was really depressing. Was it you or Matt? who said last night that they actually, like the people inside, let's say, you know, these these bubbles within a bubbles, like the New Yorker, right? They, they who are they listening to? You know, it's the ex candies and whatever's happening with DEI. And so they really, 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 really believe that the revolution oh, yeah, I was talking is about right yeah, at yeah. the doorstep. So, you know, we better be on the right side here. So yeah. we better invite, like all these little voices into the room to show that we're on, you know, the right side. There's a great Simpsons episode in which um, Homer's in space and there's a, uh, a ant, an ant farm that blows up and the camera just shows all these ants and Kent Brockman, the newsman, says, oh my God, this our new ant overlords. And he starts saying uh, how much he loves them and how much he expresses his fealty to his the new ant overlords. And then after the he apologizes later, he's like, I was just a little, uh, I, I was really premature. Right. And that is some Anybody version of this. Yeah, no, it yeah. is. Yeah, anybody. Hey, man, anybody could be fooled by that, right? Um, the full video of that's over on uh, YouTube, a lot of other stuff. And also, um, if you guys are here listening to the Paloma Media Podcast, you know not to sleep on the fact that uh, Matt Welch is burning it up over there uh, and is about to do another one pretty soon about the baseball. Uh, uh, anyway, there's three new ones up there from last week. Uh, those are my recs for the week. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. We'll be coming at you soon with more stuff. Bye.